tremendous blessing to be able to come together to worship God in spirit and in truth once again. Very thankful for the presence of all and for the privilege and honor of being able to be your speaker. It is uh, this evening that I've chosen to speak on one of the oldest sermons that I have, I guess, uh, certainly close to it. One that uh, I really like because it's easy to go in different directions with it, and uh, it, it's sort of uh, open uh, if, uh, if you want to develop into other points and so forth. But I call it imitating Paul as he imitated Christ. 1 Corinthians 11th chapter, verse 1, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. This seems, when you've studied through the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, maybe to be a strange statement for the Apostle Paul to make when we consider the first chapter of this letter, when he said in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 11 through 14, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. When we think about this, and it seems like uh, he is saying, just imitate Christ. And then he says, imitate me, but he qualifies it. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, if I'm not imitating Christ, don't imitate me. And so it's not quite as uh, poignant or pointed towards Paul himself as pointing others to Christ and be of like-minded as he is, that his goal was to please Christ and to follow Christ. In our text, we find Paul saying uh, to imitate me in this way, and it would, I think, be good for us to consider from time to time, could we say to others, imitate me as I imitate Christ? Follow me. It would be safe to follow me because I'm following Christ. And inasmuch as I'm following Christ, and if I'm following, uh, not following uh, perfectly Christ and you catch me in something that is not what Christ would do, be a friend. Love me enough to let me know. Point it out to me and let me change. So then let's look at some things, some ways that we can set a goal, at least, to imitate Paul. Paul was a soul winner. As one who uh, really never focused on trying to be a, what we used to call meeting preacher, but personal worker, and to try to work uh, reaching the lost, uh, Paul is a hero. He is in many ways, in many levels, and I often think of him as the great Apostle Paul. And Paul really, as we've already mentioned from some scriptures, he looked at for ways to uh, gain others to Christ in everything he did, wherever he was in whatever situation. But I can't think of a more hard to even wrap my mind around example than the case of Onesimus. Paul was a prisoner. In Philemon, verse 1, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. He converted Onesimus while he's in prison. Now, you know, sometimes it's hard to put ourselves in situations and what would I do in that? And, you know, there are very few times when we really would think it might happen, though we sort of uh, admit or think about if that were to happen to us, you know, what 
would we do? What would we? But we really don't think it'll ever happen to us. But here Paul is in prison, and not for being mean, but for being a Christian and being hated by those who actually were his family, so to speak, of the Jews, his brethren uh, among the Jews. And in prison, when I think of what I would do, it's hard for me to think of trying to convert somebody in the next cell or, or I think I, you know, I know me and I'm probably going to think, you know, I think I get a pass in here. I think that if God doesn't understand this, he can get me out. I may be pretty negative, but Paul isn't. And Paul is reaching out to this man Onesimus and uh, he writes to Philemon concerning him, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. Now, it's not just a person who was converted, but he was a runaway slave. And it just gets tougher because not only is he going to lead him to Christ, he's getting ready to send him back to his master. And we are so easily discouraged. I'm so easily discouraged. I remember in trying to knock doors and uh, sometimes it seemed like nearly just any little thing and I'd feel like, well, I might as well go on home because how in the world am I going to put a positive attitude now towards the next people and present Christ as I want to when I'm feeling kind of beat down. I remember finally getting the nerve to ask my good friend Elias Rodriguez. Finally, I just said, Elias, I know there are some people that are not nice to you at times at the door too. I know you face that and you face some negative things. How do you recover? From that door, by the time you get to the next door and go on. Because that's where I was. I was struggling with that. Well, Elias says in his way, well, you know, brother, I just feel like that if that's all I suffer for him who suffered so for me, it's not that big of a deal. Well, I felt pretty low before I asked. Now I feel like about three feet lower, but that was exactly what I needed to hear. And I began to be able to laugh between doors and ridicule Satan and just say, you think that's going to stop me? You think, is that the best you've got? You're the God of this world. And you think that guy is being rude to me is going to stop me from going on to the next door. I, I would just kind of laugh that way to myself. I'm not, you know, I, I know that you don't want to just walk down the street in a lot of neighborhoods obviously talking to yourself, right? But I'm internally talking and, and just chuckling, but I'd also remind Satan, you know why you can't do any more than that? Because greater is he who is in me than you. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And he can't do anything to me that God doesn't okay, that God doesn't allow. And if God allows it and okays it, then I'm okay with it too. It's fine. No big deal. So Paul obviously wasn't struggling the way I've struggled. And so he converts this man, trying circumstances. We all face it. But he reminds Philemon that perhaps this was providential. Maybe he left you that he might be converted. 
in verses 15 and 16, for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Trying circumstances. Sometimes we make excuses. And brethren, sometimes when it comes to the work of the Lord or for the Lord, we're the worst at excusing ourselves and looking for an excuse. I remember one time I had a young man wanting to preach. He was with me for, I think it was nearly a month or close to it. And we went out knocking doors one day and knocked the door and we're in El Paso and this, it's a, we'd say, it's a gringo. Oh, oh boy, here we go. Was a lot of times they were the rudest. And uh, sure enough, this particular case, he was all over me. And so we leave and we're getting ready to go and he looks at me and says, man, I feel so bad. And I looked at him and I said, what? You feel bad? He wasn't even talking to you. He was talking to me and I'm fine. What do you mean? But that's the way we are. It knocks us down. It makes us feel like, oh, this, this is just not my day. And we just sort of give in. And we go home and we try to build up our courage to go and try again. Sometimes we make excuses. Paul's statement to the Ephesian elders shows us his motivation. In Acts 20, verses 26 and 27, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Paul says, I am telling you everything I'm supposed to tell you, and the reason I want to be pure from your blood. I don't want your blood on me. I don't want their blood on me. I want to be free, clean, from their blood. His sincerity is shown in verse 31. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Now, I, I hear people say, oh, emotionalism and, and tears. And uh, I can talk with people uh, and, and everything and, and I don't get teary-eyed. That's, that's not the point. But it should hurt a little bit to know that you're standing between this person and hell, and it's a good chance that this may be his last opportunity to hear it. How long before you're going to get back to his door? And Paul obviously believed in the message he was preaching and the consequences of failing to obey it. And I think that when we become more and more convinced ourselves of our eternal destinations, we might be more involved and more sincere and more dedicated in trying to persuade men. In 2 Corinthians 5 verses 10 and 11, where we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. Do we really believe in hell? Would it change? I hope I'm not about to mess something up, but I want to talk. I hope you can still hear me fine. I think you can. I apologize for any problems. Would it change our attitude towards the lost if God opened up our vision and we looked into hell and we felt maybe a little bit of the heat coming from that furnace, smelled some of the smoke, and then we got a chance to go back and to talk? Would it change 
our approach to people? Would it make us a little bit more, listen, you've got to hear me. You know, when we really believe that someone's going to hell, it's a, there's a sense of urgency. You don't have forever. And we, they may not listen. But if you were driving by one of your neighbor's houses late at night and you see smoke not coming from the chimney but out a window, what would you do? Call 911, I guess, these days, maybe. You might want to knock on the door and see if they were awake. Or if it comes to like saving a soul, we might say, well, it's pretty late at night. They may be asleep. And excuse ourselves. Or we might go over there and knock on the door and they, nothing happens. We might knock some more and knock some more and begin to yell, are you in there? Anybody in there? Are you okay? And we want to wake someone up and if they yell back, leave us alone, we're sleeping. We're not going to say, well, try You know, there were times when we would be talking with young preachers and doing a campaign type door knocking for the group that came in. And we would go out, we would practice some, and then we would take a young person with us and we would knock doors and we'd let them knock a few. And sometimes we'd say, when you go up there and knock the door, are you kind of hoping no one's home? You kind of feel like maybe no one's there. I'm not putting myself up as an example, but I've done quite a bit of door knocking. And I've had some very interesting experiences. One woman just uh, talked with me and, and uh, we visited a bit. And she says, now, don't knock the door back behind me here. It's some drug lords or drug dealers or whatever and prostitutes. And they're all armed. And I wanted to put her mind to ease. And I said, well, I want you to know that the reason I'm going to knock on the door is not that I'm so brave or anything like that, but I know God is with me. And she says, oh, I know, and he'll be with you in the hospital too. Well, that's kind of our attitude, you know. But he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And our attitude at the door sometimes betrays a little bit of a fear. I remember one time I'm going out to knock doors and I turned the corner and there the, is a Saturday. The witnesses are right ahead of me. I thought, oh boy. They're all, everybody's going to be mad already. And I was thinking, let's go home and we'll try again next Saturday. And then I thought, wait a second. Why don't they go home? And so I just walked a little faster, got out ahead of them, went back to knocking doors. And I'd sometimes, about the time I was leaving, I'd say, uh, in case you're interested, witnesses are right behind me. They said, oh, thank you. <laughs> but instead, turn it around. Paul's in prison. Can you imagine? You know, I'm worried because the witnesses are out. Paul's in prison. And as he's there, he's talking. And he's sharing the gospel with people. And he says, be imitators of me as I also imitate Christ. Every member is important. Paul had such an attitude that he uh, would continue to go. If we really believe in hell, we need to be diligent. Do you really believe then that we have family members, friends, and neighbors who will go to hell if they do not obey the gospel? Do we care? Do they know we care? Now, I know there are ways better than other ways, but occasionally we should remind them we sure would love to have you come and be with us Sunday. Or anytime you would be willing. Would sure love to just. Get the Bibles out. Sit at the table. 
And if you've got questions, we'll just see what the Bible says about it. You know, they don't get that anywhere else right now. They're not getting that. And we have a lot to offer. And I think sometimes if, if we were to ask, when we talk to somebody out on the street, do you feel very positive about what we have to offer them? What is the first thing on your mind? Well, they're going to have to give up pretty much all of their lifestyle. They're going to have to forego some of these things they really enjoy. Uh, women are going to have to let their hair grow and not wear pants. Going to have to drink in one cup. This is getting pretty glorious, isn't it? Is that all we're about? What is the best, greatest thing about the church to you? What has God done for you? Not, you can't think of anything? Remember one time way back in the internet relay chats, they were called. We had Bible studies and those things. And there was a young, I suppose, girl. I felt like she talked like a young lady. No, but the way she talked uh, sounded like she was pretty young. And she said, uh, I'm a Christian. Well, we didn't say, yeah, I bet. <laughs> or probably not a real one, you know. No, we wouldn't do that. We said, great. And... She said, you know, the hardest thing about Christianity or being a Christian is sharing your faith with your old friends. I said, well, what's the greatest thing God has done for you personally? She says, I don't know. I never thought about it. How about you? What would you say? You thought about it? What is the good news? He saved my soul. Well, we've always been a good guy. Don't really feel like he had to do much to save me. That kind of the way we take it. Grown up in the church. Never did this, never did that. Never went over there and all that. Always been a pretty good fellow. What is the greatest thing God has done for you? He saved your soul. God gave Jesus to die in your place so that you could have the privilege of serving him. And we have God's word. And that Jesus says we can know the truth and the truth will make us free. Truth exists, it's knowable and it's the only thing that will set us free. But to be armed ahead of time, to be ready to give an answer to those who perhaps would like to know, we sometimes need to be more diligent in soul winning. We sell ourselves way short. It's amazing how wonderful we are at so many things in the secular field. Here, sit around and hear, well, I used to say old men talk. <laughs> Just hear people talk. And they talk about their job and they talk about their sports or they talk about this and they're the best they ever was. You talk about Christian doing something, oh, I can't do, I couldn't do that. Well, we become so humble when it comes to serving God. Oh, I couldn't do that. Uh, wish I could. No, you don't. You don't have to be super talented to just go tell people they need Jesus. They need saving. They need the Savior. That the Bible has what they're looking for. If they don't want it, when you go to the door, one thing, just a quick pointer. If you go to the door or you're in an opportunity and you feel like they're really hesitant, try to leave that door no farther shut than it was when you got there. Because you might be back. Try to leave as positive of, of an influence you possibly can. When people were the rudest to me that anybody was, I never left the door without saying, well, Lord bless you. I hope you have a great day. I don't care what they, else they would said. And I would try to get them to study. If they didn't want to study, I'd try to leave a track. They didn't want the track. I'd try to encourage them to read their Bible on their own because it's God's Word. It isn't me. 
God's law is perfect, converting the soul. They just need that message. And Paul calls it a treasure. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power. Wow. Not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to save. Oh, that's enough. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 7 that the excellence of the power might be of God and not of us. It's the message, not the messenger. Paul believed it and Paul spoke up. In fact, he prayed under trying circumstances. He requested people to pray for him that he might speak boldly and he says as I ought to speak and so we can too we can do some there are different levels of personal work carry some tracks carry a tract in your purse carry some that you can just at a restaurant maybe leave and like one book I was reading on personal work uh, leave a good tip with it <laughs> don't don't make a you know, what a cheapskate. And you may get some of that. I've had, I've knocked the door and no one come. Leave the tract on the door, get to the next door and I look over there and the guy, and I had to leave it out on the gate of the fenced yard and he come out after I, I'd left. Goes over there, takes the tract off and looks at it, throws it out in the street. This particular example, no one was there and I got through there, I went over there, picked that up out of the street, put it in my pocket, and just went on. I didn't lose anything. Well, I'll tell you one thing, he did. He lost the chance of a lifetime and threw it away. Things are being written down in a book. Paul demonstrated his concern for the saved. You know, it used to be we... Just love them up one side and down the other till they're baptized and when we've got them and then we just turn them loose and drop them. And I've had members say, you know, before we took our stand in this case uh, with the church, man, they were just taking us, this one family, they would just take us everywhere with them and invite us to things and want us to go and do and everything. And now it's like, yeah, they'll never say anything. You can't turn them loose. You can't discard them because, well, we got them now. Now it's up to them. Don't forget them. He knew he was needed. In Philippians 1, 23 and 24, For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Every member... Is important. I'm going to tell you something. You may not want to accept this, but there are people in this world who are lost that you would have more influence on than anyone else in the world. You can use that influence to try to open a door for someone else to talk, or you can use that influence to try to talk to them yourself, but you can try. You are their only hope. In a lot of cases, you don't know of anybody that would fit that. You know of anybody that you've never mentioned? You know, we used to sing a song. It used to be in the books. It's kind of not real popular. You met me day by day and knew I was astray, but never mentioned him to me. Well, we don't want to think about that. We don't want to think about that. But you know, every day, we may have an opportunity. You have to look for them, don't you? Have to watch for an opportunity. Be able to talk to somebody. You are important. You are a link to someone. You have a function in the body of Christ. Ephesians 4.16 
from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We must use our God-given talents to seek and to save and to help to grow the church. You can't put it all on a local preacher or even the elders, and you sure can't put it all right here in this pulpit. If this is all the evangelizing we're doing, we're failing. Because people are not coming, are they? They're not here. And Jesus didn't say, set up a pretty place and invite everybody and let them come. You know, I'm sure you've heard the old illustration of man that lost his wedding ring. And he was afraid to go home to admit it to his wife. And a guy saw him under a street light and he's down on his hands and knees and just looking and looking. And he, the guy says, what's up? What are you doing? Oh man, I've lost my wedding ring. I'm afraid to go home without it. I've got to find it. He said, well, are you sure you lost it here? He said, no, I, I lost it a couple of blocks over there, but the lighting is so much better here. Jesus says, go into all the world. Listen, in this, I've got to mention, every creature means people sometimes who don't look just like us, don't dress just like us, and as one brother pointed out to me, may not smell just like us. Jesus died for them. And if you want to find some people open, the poor people, Sometimes just do a study on the emphasis Jesus put on the poor getting the gospel. I'll give you a hint. When John's disciples, when they came and John wanted to know, are you the one or do we wait on someone else? And he says, you go and tell John that these miracles are being done and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Poor people are hungry, looking for, seeking things, and a lot of times seeking in all the wrong places. Be willing to reach out to them. Every creature includes them, not only them, but all. We must try to improve and develop other talents. We have talents that sometimes we don't want to even admit. We don't want to acknowledge because that's going to cause us to have responsibilities. I don't want to be good at personal work. Then I'd be hiding my talent. I don't know of anybody, well, Leas may have, I don't know, but I don't know of anybody else that I personally know that just started out good at personal work. Everybody struggled at it. Everybody had to drag their carcass out there and, and just try to do the best they could. And sometimes the different levels of aggression I'm not high pressure myself. I don't like high pressure salesmen. I don't want people coming and trying to uh, high pressure me. I like somebody to just talk like I'm just a regular person and we can just talk. I'm either interested or I'm not. And I like to just go and offer people. We invite people to invite us. We offer people an opportunity of the lifetime. And you've got to believe that's what you have to offer Got turned down one time, three times, because I'm not I'm a little hard-headed. But, but I was having to go into Mexico, drive across the border into Mexico from El Paso. And I'd get there, and the guy that was supposed to have a Bible study, he's not there. Went back the next week, he's not there. Went back the next week, he's not there. His sister's there. And I thought, hey, maybe this is what God was working out for me to meet her. And so I just expressed uh, everything that I knew how, the best I knew how, and said, would you be interested? And she says, no. But she listened to me very nicely all the way through that. And I thought, I'm going to get a study. And then she said, no. What do you do? I'll tell you what I did. I said, well, it's all voluntary. I know you would have enjoyed it. 
but I really believed it. You, can you believe that if someone will give you five minutes, they're going to enjoy it? Why not? Give me five minutes, you're going to enjoy. Because we serve an awesome, awesome God. We have to use our talents then in growing because it's a command to grow in Christ. And we, as the parable of the talents, we know it is a sin to bury them. We must not rest on what we have done. We must continue to try. Paul also, number three, tried to be better than the best, not as good as the worst. Somebody sometimes will say, I'll tell you, brother, so-and-so needs it a whole lot worse than what I do. Or you need to be talking to them. I believe it. You need to talk to them. Somebody, I mean, there's always an excuse. Paul didn't say, well, I... I tell you, there are people there in that congregation that are a whole lot worse off than I am. Were you satisfied with that? Is there anybody better than you there? You care about that? We don't want to be like number one or, you know, like boastful or anything, but set our goals high. Look to grow and to be better. He knew it would take effort, extra effort. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. He knew that after all he had done to save others, he could still be lost. There's no place to sit down and just say, I've run a good race. Now it's time for some of the others to take over the business of doing these things. He pressed toward his goal. Philippians 3, 13 through 17, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. He did not think he had it made already. He didn't take it as though I'm saved and uh, everything's fine. He tried to forget the past and Many of us have things back there that can weigh us down that have been forgiven and they don't need to be weighing us down anymore. Forgetting those things which are behind, I press forward toward the goal and setting our goal and setting our uh, vision on heaven. He strove for the high calling. Hebrews Three and one, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Paul was a man of conviction. He believed what was right, and what he believed was right, he believed wholeheartedly. Acts 23 and 1, then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Galatians 1, 14, and I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. When he learned of the error, he changed. Acts twenty two sixteen. and now while you're waiting, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. 26, 19, and 20. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first uh, to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works befitting repentance. He defended the gospel with his life. Philippians 1.17, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. When necessary, 
He taught others to rebuke sharply. Titus 1, verses 12 and 13, one of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. He was disgusted with Christians who were easily led astray. Galatians 3 and 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. Paul was able to say to King Agrippa in Acts 26, verses 27 through 29, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but all who hear me this day might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. What would the church be like today if every member was just like me? Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's a challenge. I know most of us probably believe we can improve. There's always something more we could do. When is enough enough? And I don't know all of those answers. I don't. I think probably Paul would have said, I wish I could have done more. But that didn't stop him from doing anything. He did what he could do. God doesn't expect us to be what we are not. There was an old country song. Uh, where there was a song, it now is an old country song. It just simply says, all I can be is all I can be. And all I can do is all I can do. Sometimes we have to be satisfied with, okay, I had to accept I'm not Elias. I'm not as talented as Elias at personal work. I'm not going to be. So what do I tell myself? Therefore, I don't have to do anything. I'm fine. Just don't worry about it. Maybe I'm just a one-talent person for sharing gospel with someone else. Do I want to bury it? We know we don't want to be that one-talent guy that buried his talent. We know we don't want to do that because we know what happened to him. Find a way. Start simple. Set goals that are small. Little goals. If you're going to knock doors, knock one block. How long does that take? In this day and age, probably not long. Hopefully it'll take longer. I remember one time we were doing a campaign in Plainview, Texas. And William St. John and I were teamed up together. And George Batty and George Vergara lived there and they had invited us in with a group of others. We were there in the first week. And uh, at the end of the week, we handed in our notes and George looked at it and it was just a short list. And he says, that's all y'all done this week? And we just looked at it. Brother, we've been having Bible studies. If you just wanted some sheets filled out, we could have done that. We'd like to study the Bible with you, but if you're too busy right now, we can check back later. Oh yeah, that'd be better. Okay, check back, George. And just go through and hand, turn in. Here's a, here's, oh yeah, and here's the other book, notebook. What good would that be? Every person deserves the opportunity to hear one time at least. And we offer it to them. Sometimes they obviously are not interested. There's not any sense in trying to push it on somebody. You're not going to get closer to them that way. But we can offer and be as sweetest Christian they've ever met. One time in El Paso, a person wanted to know who I was and what I was doing and I told him I'm a member of the Church of Christ and I'm out uh, talking to people about the Lord. He said, are you a Mormon? I said, no, I'm not a Christian. Are uh, you, you uh, one of the witnesses? I said, no, I'm just a Christian. I meet over here on Montana Street. He said, oh, uh, come on in, come on in. I, uh, those people, and I said, well, you know what? I feel like 
that if I don't go, he said, I, I don't think I've ever seen anybody else doing this. I said, I know. And I feel like if I don't go, that's the only ones that's going to be out there talking to those people. One time, I was to be done. This is just one example of what I was trying to say about try to keep the door open. You never know who's observing you. You never know. I knocked on the door. I could see through the screen this old man that reminded me a bit of Tim Conway on Carol Burnett's show as he making his way to the door. And I'm thinking, bless his sweetheart. He can hardly walk to the door and he sees me here with my Bible and he's coming to greet me instead of, you know, he's not just, he opens up the door and he shoves me and he says, get out of here, get away. I've got my church just right over there. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I did not mean to upset you. I hope you have a great day. And I walked off and I'm laughing in my own mind. And then I hear someone running behind me and I looked around and it's the gardener that was out there and he wanted to know what church I was with. And he wanted a tract. What do you think if I said, why you silly old man? What do you think? I was laughing, I told Satan, I don't know if he heard me or not, but I, in myself I'm saying, if I hadn't been looking, I wouldn't even known he pushed me. Really? You think that's going to stop me? Type of a deal. Listen, we don't have to be so easy for Satan to talk us into giving up. It's easy. Anybody can give up. It's easy to do. And sometimes uh, it's too hot. It's too cold. It's too windy. It's too rainy. It's too everything you can think of. We're easy. In Honduras one time, a brother and I were knocking doors. We got caught in a rainstorm. You know what? We got in the house. We didn't even have our umbrellas with us. They said, come on in. Let us in there long enough for the rain to stop. William St. John and I were knocking doors one time. They didn't have time to talk. And you know what we did? We asked. It was 108 in Poto, Oklahoma. Could we have a cup of cool water? Oh, if they're religious, they know that first, you know. If you give a cup of water, some of you will no way lose your... They don't want to turn you down a cup of water. And it's amazing how slow you can sip a cup of water. And we got in some pretty good Bible study in there with you in that time. You see, what I'm saying, all I mean, I'm not putting myself up as anything, because I'm I've had to be encouraged a whole lot. I'm just saying that we give up so easy sometimes. I know they're not interested. There were people, before I was, I was in the secular field, I was inviting people that I thought might be interested. They were pretty religious people from work, and I'd try to invite them, and none of them ever came. I'm inviting them to a meeting, finally... This one old guy that I worked with, I felt like probably the least likely to show up Sunday morning. There he is. Don Brooks in the meeting. Don Brooks comes in. He says, I think there's somebody out here you need to talk to. I went out there. This is John. I said, hey. He says, he shook my hand. He says, because it's the last day of the meeting. You know, he says, well, I blew it, didn't I? You can't judge it. God didn't give you that ability. That's why he says every creature. I've got to quit. I don't want to do anything more than encourage because I don't care who you are. You're a Christian. You're a member of the body of Christ. You, surely there's something that you appreciate about what God has done to you. Go let people know. Let them know what a wonderful congregation we've got. You know, you don't have to say, I've heard growing up, heard somebody lead the prayers and we ask you to be with the church and all the little churches of Christ wherever they meet. You know, really? Is that your image? 
you know, we're just an insignificant little old group off over here, but we'd like to have you come anyway if you don't mind. Ain't got nothing better to do. What has been out something that we just admire about this congregation? And it being a congregation of the Lord's church that he bought with his blood because he loved me and gave himself for me. And I can't share that to somebody. I don't think there's anybody in the world that's needing what we have here. Satan wants you to believe there's, oh, they're not going to want that. They're not going to want that. They're so sophisticated. Oh, I can tell you all kinds of things I worried about when, when I was first starting to preach. I, I felt like I'd knock on the door and it'd be some Baptist pastor or, or professor at some seminary or whatever, you know. And they're going to chew me up one side and I'm going to be an embarrassment to the Lord. I was worried about that. Most of the people you're going to run into couldn't tell you where Genesis was. In a correspondence course, one lesson, the last question, or one of the questions is, what's the name of the last book of the Bible? This lady wrote glossary. And you're afraid you may not be able to answer arguments. Or you're going to be stunned. Something else I learned a long time ago, thankfully, is when I get asked a question, I don't know the answer. The best answer I can give them is I don't know. But I'd love to come back next week and study that with you. I don't know then. Use it as an, an advantage. Take advantage of it. Set up an appointment. I've talked way too long. I get a little enthused. Because it enthuses me again to think about the good times I've had when so many examples that I could talk about people were ugly to me. Oh, I could tell you, mean to me. And finally I just said, well, just invite you to read the Bible yourself. And she says, well, I'm tired. All I need to do, right, want to do right now is take a nap. I said, well, I hope you rest in peace. And, well, well, I should have believed the little girl playing outside. But I started over to her house and the little girl says, sometimes she's kind of grumpy. <laughs> so what? So what? We offer eternal salvation, not of our own. But we've been blessed to, somebody told us, whether it's our parents, grandparents, somebody told us. And we have, as the Bible says, we've been entrusted with the gospel. Even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but pleasing God. And we can do that. Can we help you tonight with a spiritual need? And so we invite you forward as we stand and sing the song so late.